The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. But how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away. Make Indiana Jones inquiries and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Find us on consequenceofsound.net or wherever you procure fine podcasts. It's the show you're looking for. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Track by Track, a longtime article series from Consequence of Sound, the website. Now a new reoccurring feature here on the Consequence of Sound podcast. In Track by Track, we explore an album one song at a time with the artist behind it, discussing the song's origins, tales from the recording studio, every story that brought this music to life. In this episode, Consequence of Sound's Randall Colburn is speaking to Dirty Projector's David Longstreth about his new record, Lamp Lit Prose. But before we get started, let me introduce myself. I'm the Consequence Podcast Network Director, Cap Blackard, the voice you hear every time you tune in to one of our programs. Thanks so much for checking out Consequence of Sound's podcasts. If this is your first time here, welcome! We've got a lot of music to explore, and we do it three times a week in this podcast feed with our album review podcasts. And if you're a return listener, well, hopefully you're digging our bite-sized album reviews. And we'd love to hear what you think. Let us know by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes, or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. The short shows we put out on this feed are a pretty unusual format, and we'd love to know what you love about them, what you think could improve, or how you listen to them. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hit us up via the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We're an independent music outlet, and it's you fine folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring pop art. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. Thanks so much for tuning in, and now I'm going to pass the baton off to Randall, speaking with David Longstreth about Dirty Projector's new record, Lamplit Prose. This is Track by Track. This is uh, Randall with Consequence of Sound. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for chatting with us. I really, really dig the record. And, um, you know, it was kind of a cool, yeah, it was kind of a cool surprise because, you know, I mean, I still listening to your one from last year and I was like, oh, shit, a new record. So, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to kick it off. I mean, um, you know, putting out a record like a little more than a year after the last one. I mean, like uh, what sort of lit the fire for you in, um, you know, pumping out this record that sounds very different from the previous one? I think it's just sort of a like a natural development of of just continuing to to write and record. You know, yeah. um, I got this this little studio in in Los Angeles now, and uh, I was never going to uh, take Dirty Projectors out on tour for the self titled record. So I just basically just kept writing and and arranging things, recording, and yeah, this it's been just a period of like work, ideas, and playing around with stuff. Were any of these tracks like, um, you know, leftovers from the previous sessions that you maybe reworked a little bit? No, these are, you know, some of the ideas I had like voice memos of from a while ago, but it's all pretty, you know, it's all basically been done since since the self-titled. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So and yeah, like, and, yeah. And this I was reading, you know, in the press materials and everything. And there's this very much this 
this threat of uh, the idea of recommitment to sort of the ideals of dirty projectors and the sonics of dirty projectors, like throughout the, you know, throughout that kind of whole statement about the record. And I'd love to just hear a little bit about why that's so important to you with this record to, you know, recommit in that sense. I think that um, a lot of the music that I've written has, has had a, a kind of like optimistic like you know quality yeah i think it i think these songs find their way are finding their way back in into that into that place sure sure and you feel like you meandered away from that a little bit over the last record in making the last record i wanted to throw out everything that i i felt that i knew and had developed about making dirty projectors record yeah i think that record tells a tell you know it has an arc and it's an arc that ends in uh hope you know hope and an affirmation of of like the idea of love in the end that's not it's not a um nihilistic record it's not a bitter record right but you know there's some there's some tough moments sure <laughs> goes through some tough moments yeah uh, and sort of it sort of dovetails with where you're beginning with this record yeah yeah maybe so so uh-huh, with, uh-huh. yeah so with the first track right now like um you know how did that song come together? The sky has darkened, earth turned to hell. Some said a light got shined where darkness dwells. Yeah, that one actually, um, let's think. In terms of the, the songwriting of it, um, I... Um, I think of it almost as just like a like a George Jones song or yeah, something. Yeah. Like uh just kind of like a coming from a a, a, down, a little bit of a down place but you know singing with a a sense of how things could be and 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 what they could be. And so actually in terms in like in thinking about the production I was actually really inspired by that um that song it's like um Aloe Black singing over an Avicii song. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know Aloe Black, yeah. And that, you know, that song is a crazy song. Sure. Um, just in the way that gems together, you know, what you might generously call, like, you know, country music <laughs> or something, you know. Yeah. And then with with just, you know, uh, synthetic, electronic kind of like EDM styles, like the bringing those two worlds together is just so ambitious of, uh, you know, of those, uh, of those creators. And so, and I like, so I like that. I, I, I respond, I respond to that. But, uh, so yeah, with right now, I kind of wanted to do that, but where the verses maintain that sort of just sort of George Jones equality, it's acoustic, um, the singing, is uh is coming from that place like you know there's a little honk to my voice or whatever yeah yeah. and then the chorus is just more purely electronic and with that 808 with the the kind of implied triplet feel under it it just has a very different character and so the challenge like uh you know producing it was like can i can 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 i draw these two worlds together in a way that um that they work as a whole right now I, 
how, and then uh, you got uh, Sid from the internet on there. How did you link up with her? I just reached out to her. Like yeah. I've lo- I've been loving her music. I think she's like an incredible artist. Right. And uh, and I and I love the spirit of her voice. And uh, and she's perfect for that for that song. Um, because um, because you know I'm kind of like freaking you know freaking out a little bit. My voice is in this upper register. I'm like a little like pushing it, yelping, and then she's just like so cool. Yeah. So smooth. And, yeah. <laughs> And calming and smooth, yeah. That's cool. So, and I, yeah, yeah. And then I also um, love in the song the way the horns sort of emerge whenever you kind of call upon them in the song. Like, you know, you mentioned the trumpets and then they come out and you were mentioned, the, you know, the band and then they come out. Was that was that something that, you know, did the lyrics inform that or did sort of the idea inform that? Uh, a little bit of both, a yeah. little bit of both. It's like, you know, some of the, some of the language I had before a lot of the production and then, you know, I, I filled in the rest of the words like frog DNA in uh dress park when <laughs> once I had the, once I had the production, you know, the production ideas. And I love those songs that are like when Prince references like Joni or something like that, right, or right. like um, a moment in Sergeant Pepper when the, you know, the French horn quintet takes over for a minute. So I just, I lo- you know, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And it just kind of gives the record a, an immediacy and sort of, um, I don't know, it gives you as the songwriter and the singer sort of a lot of agency, which is, I don't know, just, I think a very optimistic idea and a, a cool way to start the record. So, but yeah, why don't we cool. move on? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And talk about your first single, uh, Breakthrough. And I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit about where that came from and also why you chose that to be the first single. Yeah, um, that one was really about, it came actually from the, from the, the beat originally okay um and then i was just playing around with the beat and uh i made up that little riff over it and um and you know i was just kind of like this is a little bit of a a little bit of a bop yeah and uh so you know it's like it's a it's a it's a sort of light breezy song you know i i wanted to do the thing almost like what we were talking about with right now where you're taking these disparate elements and then can you make them live together in the same world? So that crazy keyboard thing in the verses uh, that's like mixed way too loud <laughs> is, uh, is, is a Wurlitzer that is thrown through um, one of those uh, like Digitech whammy pedals. So it yeah. has that like, kind of gasondo on it. All over this record, I'm taking that idea of like, um, you know, hocketing, like rhythmic sharing, breaking up a melody or a rhythmic pattern across different um, pieces of the, of the group, you know? Yeah. And so I wanted, I wanted that vocal melody to be in Hockett with the, with the Wurlitzer right. in the verses and in the pre-chorus. So that was just, I don't know, like little, little, I don't know, fun, like challenges to approach with it. Um, do you but like to yeah, give, you do you know, like to give yourself those kind of challenges when you're writing a song? Yeah, like I, yeah, I like to make it like yeah, try to like make it difficult and see if I can <laughs> sure see if I can carry it through. Um, but uh, yeah, 
that's, that's where cool. that song is coming from. The lyrics, so you were sort of talking about disparate elements, and I think one of the real playful parts of the song is in the lyrics, you know, you, you make a lot of different references that, you know, span time periods and genres and things like that. And, um, you know, was that sort of you having a little fun while writing the lyrics, mentioning like Julian Casablanca's and then mentioning uh, Middle Earth? Like, are you a big Lord of the Rings fan? And that's a little Easter egg or... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was also just like, you know, descript- I'm trying to write descriptively, you know. Totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, like putting, putting like Ecclesiastes right next to just like slang, you know, slang kind of stuff seems like, and I was just having fun. You know? Yeah, that's cool. It fits, it fits the spirit of the song. Absolutely. Well, cool. Um, and then I'd love to talk about probably what's one of my favorite songs on this record, which is uh, That's a Lifestyle. And um, I love the video for it, too. I, I just wrote it up on COS and it's a gorgeous video. But but I'd love to. Also, yeah. Yeah. I just love to start and hear a little bit about, you know, where the song came from and um, how you got uh, Haim uh, working on it with you or Haim working on it with you. Stop wasting the lives of the brave based on a lie. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, it's a song in protest of the um, you know, the, the political realities we find ourselves mired in at the moment. Yeah, and uh, so the you know, the lyrics are, are I think fairly explicit and probably self-explanatory in that in that respect um and um and heim you know they're 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 friends in in los angeles that was they were another artist reached out to danielle and she was like hell yeah nice and uh i sent her like a rough version of the song and uh afterwards i was like like, maybe i should have worked on it more before i sent it to them (laughs) and then she got back and she was oh we we love it we love it that's so cool. That and then was, did they, did you yeah. sort of have their, uh, you know, the harmonies they were going to provide? Did you have those in mind or did they contribute to um, that contribution in any way? I had them down, but they brought a, a, like an interpretation to, you know, they, they, there's a twang that they, that they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that changed the character of it. Yeah. So that's cool. It's really, really neat to, to have them over to record. And, and I feel so, um yeah like honored to to have them on the record yeah and did this um did sort of the lyrics come before the music on this one i mean like you said the you know the lyrics are very explicit and so did did this begin as you know kind of a a a, you know a witting protest song or um did that sort of emerge from the music itself more from the music yeah more from the music yeah that's cool and then like um You've you know you've you've touched on protest aspects before in your music. So did it feel? Yeah. Was there a different? Um, I don't know. Like how is it different in this political climate, which you know obviously is a, a bit different than things have been in the last you know couple decades. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Well. You know, I think all all music has a has a political dimension, just in, inherently. Yeah. Um, this one, you know, I think that we're so steeped in that idea that, um, you know, oftentimes it's 
it doesn't occur to a songwriter to write, you know, a, a real explicit, you know, song. Yeah. Uh, or it hasn't until until, you know, this rapid slide into, uh, you know, white supremacist fascism. Right. And I guess you know I think that's sort of been my my feeling as a as a writer that in a lot of ways like my values are going to be just baked into the things that I write. With this one though I, I did I wanted to make I wanted to be more I wanted to hammer at it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean in this culture it's like we have to a little bit, you know. <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's move on. I I kind of love that you follow it with um a song as buoyant and wild as I feel energy. Uh I love Amber Amber Mark's contribution here. Uh it's it's just such kind yeah. of a joyful song. And so where did this one kind of what was it born out of? Just the idea, just this idea of like, okay, well, how in in this in this world that we're living in right now, what is the appropriate response? How do we how do we feel? And and you know, I, I think that it's occurring to a lot of a lot of us that the silver lining here is that um, as 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 shitty as a turn as things have taken. You know, this didn't happen overnight, and a lot of these things have been have been um, going on for a, for a long time, albeit not quite so out in the open. And like, um, you know, in that there's sort of a light being shined on them now, and there's a certain momentum um, for you know to, to come together and and um, really articulate like the world that we want yeah. to live in. And the world that we want to make. So I think in in general, like there's a feel with this album that's that's kind of like let's find the things that we believe in, let's let's locate the things that give us hope. Yeah. And um, and you know we we need those. Right. We're going to use those. Yeah. It felt it. Yeah. Just to make a song that is as kind of like buoyant and like joyful yeah. as this felt uh, natural, but also necessary. And why was Amber Mark a good collaborator for it? Um, Because I, lo- like, I love her voice so much. Her song, Lose My Cool, was like my favorite song of last year. Nice. And, um, and her voice is just so powerful. Yeah. There's so much confidence and and just bravado and, and, uh, and, um, energy and, um, yeah, just passion, I guess passion in in her voice. And so, yeah. And she slays the, she slays the part. She makes the song happen. Hell yeah. Totally. Um, and also did I see Bjork's name in the credits? How was she involved? (laughs) Uh, yeah, she sent me a recording. She sent me like an iMovie recording of a Japanese cricket. Okay. <laughs> a little while ago, a little while ago, and it just had this crazy sound um, that's like that was very rhythmic, very musical, um, and also just completely alien. And so it made it. I. I it. It was. It's. It's woven into the rhythmic framework of the of the song. And that, so I wanted to. 
give credit where it was due. Sure. Uh, does she often send you things like that? Um, no, that was kind of out of, out of nowhere. And I was, but I appreciated it. I was Hell like, yeah. true. Yeah. You that used sound to. is crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Um, speaking yeah. of crazy, I, I love the lyrics to zombie conqueror. I feel like you paint sort of a very vivid world here. So I'd love to know a little bit about where that one came from. I wanted to just like make a make a movie, you know. Sure, that's how. Yeah, and that's what it so feels that, like. Yeah, the songs I wanted to feel like a, the kind of like chase scene or like montage um, scene for like preparation preparation montage. Totally. In a in a in a movie. So the lyrics are writing to that. It's it's not a great deal. Um, more, um, you know, obtuse obtuse than. That. Sure. Like, I kind <laughs> yeah. of love the way you have sort of so many different guitar styles on there and the interplay between them is like is really exciting. Like there's kind of the twangy element cool. and then there's the 12 string element and then there's the, you know, the uh, kind of chugging guitar like 28 days later element. Like was uh, like, did you have that interplay in mind when you were writing the music for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one. In, in writing it, I like, knew exactly what the guitar layers were at like, the moment I wrote it. That's cool. Um, just because, yeah, I love those. I love those colors. And and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. And so how did Empress Of get involved with that one? Well, OK, so at a certain point with this album, like I told you, I was um, I kind of just kept on writing and recording uh after i finished the the self-titled and so as these songs were coming together and i was doing it sort of the same way i had put down kind of like rough vocals for most of the record and i was listening back to it and i was like well this this album feels more like a like a party or something, or like a community it doesn't it shouldn't feel like such a monologue or such like just a kind of like studio cre- creation and yeah. so uh, Laura Lee was just the first person I reached out to about like, Hey, like, do you want to like hang some of this stuff with me? And she was like down to, down to do it. And so she came over and we, and we record, that's maybe the first one that we put down and, um, it just, it, it, it worked out. And she popped up on, um, on the first track as well. Right. Right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She sings some of the harmonies in the last chorus of right now. Yeah. That's cool. Um, whereas Bluebird, I guess, like the next song does feel like a monologue in a lot of ways. And it's, I kind of love the way that you incorporate the recorder because it really, you know, evokes that sort of pastoral chirping, like bird sound. So I'd love to know, like, um, you know, how did this one come together? Sky is blue, the sun shines everywhere. about like um a spring you know a spring day and exactly that hearing hearing the birds chirp and and just um remembering that remembering sunlight on on your face yeah (laughs) just kind of capturing like Um, a quiet placid moment yeah yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you located the recorders because i was worried that 
in the end I mixed them too quiet. But yeah, just the sort of like comedic, sure. not comedic, but just like the the kind of like Whimsical. good humor, the yeah. good humor of of like a recorder choir. Um, for me, starts to get at the the um, yeah the feeling of that song, and then. With that one, I guess we could talk about um, Mauro Rafasco, the uh, okay. my favorite percussionist, um, who um, who recorded on a lot of this stuff with me. Um, you know, I'd have like um, just rhythmic patterns, beats, and whatnot that I made in the computer, and um, and then we would go through kind of layer by layer of those patterns, and then he would play them um acoustically on some on the just the world of um you know wood blocks and like weird pieces of sheet metal and things that he's accumulated over you know a decade or two of touring um around the world and so yeah he's just really really bringing this kind of like tactile character to these patterns and things and so yeah in the breakdown in that horn arrangement he like kind of has a some cool stuff in there yeah, definitely. How long have you been working with him? Yeah, since the self-titled. Oh, record. cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's on he's on a good bit of that as well. Nice. I I was really drawn to um I found it in you and especially when I noticed that you know it was only you and Mike Johnson uh, listed, uh, you know, in the credits of the song, which, you know, and especially with the lyrics too, I got the vibe that this was a very personal song, um, and like a very intimate one for you. So like, is that, is that true at all? Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, you know, all, all, all of them are, uh, um, totally. Yeah. This one, yeah, this one came out of like, again, yeah, there was a summer when I was working with Solange on her record. I I, um, I was in this place of just like making tons of beats, like trying to make four beats a day. Yeah. Um, and, and so this beat is from that. And I always loved this beat, but it's really wild. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And so I had kind of forgotten about it and. And then, yeah, just one day I found it and, and, and um, you know, kind of just like freestyled some melodies over it and threw down some um, organ and, uh, and guitar. That one felt really complete to you, like right off the bat? Yeah, it's one where um, there aren't too many elements to the song. Right, right. Um, but it feel, to me, it feels really complete. Yeah, totally. And it got there pretty fast. So, yeah and sort of on the other hand uh what is the time the next song like you know you've got a pretty vast crew of people on that one like what was the process of bringing everyone like bringing everyone together like that you know in the studio leave the spoon fed um well i wanted to um yeah there's like a lot of horns on this record yeah i love it and uh, yeah, I yeah, I've been th- yeah, thank you. I've, I really was enjoying writing, writing for <laughs> writing for horns, and also some of the some of the players I know in LA are just it's so fun to to record with them, to work with them, and record with them. Yeah. Um, Todd, Todd Simon and Tracy Wanamé and uh, Julianne Grau, mm-hmm. um, all, all play on that number, and they're yeah, they're great players. I guess I'm curious with this one, like. 
I get kind of a I, I, I get the feeling that it wasn't that there was no improvisation. It does feel very tight. But at the same time, this also feels kind of like a jam to me. Like I can see this song really taking on a new life live like does that whole idea sure. like does the, is there any kind of improv improvisational element that maybe went into this well the whole studio experience from my perspective the whole studio experience is kind of improvisational it's one of the things i love about it um when we get to the place of a, of a final arrangement there there isn't really um no <laughs> no there's, there's no real totally and even in that one there's no like oh let's let's leave it in i don't know i don't know about that yeah, yeah i mean this one i remember i put was getting together with uh rostam at one point and playing him a bunch of ideas i think actually this one and not a lot of the other songs that ended up on the record and so maybe that's telling maybe yeah. that's telling but I but I played like a rough version of of uh, this one for Rostam, and he was like, "This is the best thing you've played me today." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, love, I, have, I, I love it. Did you guys record? Was this all kind of recorded in different parts, or did you ever have kind of a full band in the studio with this one? Uh, let me think. It was um, the basic track was like me on the Wurlitzer and Mike and Morrow, and sure. so the three the three of us recorded. The ba that basic track together. Gotcha. Yeah, it just has such a wonderful like communal vibe to it um, that I'm yeah. very very much looking forward to seeing live. So, so for me, like this record, in like the approach to the rhythm section is really to me it really builds off of what I what I was doing in the self titled record. Yeah, approaching it almost like electronic music or something um, in creating beats and 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 layers and playing with um this um you know friction between organic performed elements and then uh you know synthetic elements and then in contrast to the self-titled record maybe there's just a lot more like natural room sound and like more performed instruments on top of that in terms of the roads the whirly a lot of guitars and things like that yeah but um this song, and maybe what you're getting at and what you're saying, this song, it's just the straight track. There's no, there's no real, um, like, looping going on. Right, or, right, um, yeah. You know, cutting it up and moving things around. It's, it's a pretty straight performance. Yeah, and it just, I guess it's neat to hear that, yeah, with your music. I, mean, I love the other stuff, too, but it, I guess, like, there was just something very, um, I don't know, in a weird way, pure about this song. I can I can see that. I think yeah. that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you mentioned Rostam and um, he's featured on uh, You're the One, the penultimate track on there. He, and he's also with Robin Pecknold from Fleet Foxes. Yep. And so I thought that was kind of a really cool. Um, and I know when we wrote about it on the site, we were like, oh, that's neat. Like these three voices coming together. So, you know, what sort of led to the three of you choosing that song to work on together? like when I write melodies, I do so a lot of times like high, high up. <laughs> sure. And and so if for one thing, they're always hard for me. To sing. But for another, you know, I think that's one of the things that like lends some of my um, writing to like women's voices. Yeah. And 
And so this song, though, it's like a little bit in more this like tenory register. Yeah. Um, and so to have this kind of like three tenors vibe, especially for a song that, you know, that is just sort of, um, you know, a declaration of love a bit, you yeah. know, it just felt um, that felt like the way to embody the song. And so, um, yeah, Robin moved to L.A. and Rossum and I moved there about the same time. So they're just friends in town. You know, they're friends in town. And yeah, they were they were down to, to be a part of it. And um, yeah, that's cool. That's about yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about the final track. I want to feel it all. I was really, really taken with this because I don't know, there's such like kind of an atmospheric nature to it, but also, and I, you know, we, we had talked about horns earlier and I guess what I, what oh, I was yeah. so tr intrigued yeah. by with this one was just noticing all the various types of horns that you used and um, the ways that those oh, all yeah. kind of merge together. And so was this song, was it kind of conceived to be sort of the sea of horns? Was that something you had been envisioning? just like you know or like kind of duke ellington style just feeling really inspired by his work as an arranger in writing for this kind of like almost big band jazz sort of context right um, right you know and and um yeah i guess i had that idea for it and then i was also feeling like maybe string writing yeah maybe, definitely. maybe string writing would be a, would be a cool thing for it as well and so i did both and then figuring out how they related to one another so, uh, dear Nora, how did you uh, hook up with them for this song? We were, Katie and I were just texting um, at one point, and we realized that we were on, like, the same track for, for uh, you know, finishing a record. Yeah. Um, like, you're trying to be done with tracking at the end of first week of December? Uh, and they were like, yeah. And, and, I, and I was like, I'm trying to be done with mastering at the end of, uh, like, by the end of the year. And they were like, same. And so we were <laughs> just kind of like tripping on, tripping on that. Totally. And so we decided to do these kind of like cameos on, uh, on each other's records. I think that mine made it into theirs, but it might be kind of affected. Sure. Um, <laughs> and so were you a fan of Dear Nora growing up? Oh yeah, hugely. Um, my brother was in like early versions of of dear nora when they uh went to college together like way back in the 20th century actually like when my brother went off to school he like left his high school band's cassette four track back with me and that's like how i got into um you know songwriting and yeah. recording and the rest of it I, I would make these tapes and uh and send them to to jake to my brother and then i guess he shared them you know with his friends and and katie and stuff and so katie actually was like my first like tape trading friend you yeah know, i would i would get tapes from them and they would be like blow my mind with the the chord changes and the songwriting and everything and yeah so i've always just hugely admired their work and um Katie has sort of been a model, you know, a model for me about like, you know, how to how to navigate the music industry and, and what a career looks like. Yeah. Was collaborating with them like sort of a come circle, like full circle moment for you as an artist, maybe? Totally. 
Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And it's also exciting just because it's the first Dear Nora record in in a bit. Right. And yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I wanna I wanna celebrate that. It's a really good record. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on iTunes or Podchaser. Or hey, share it with a friend or on social media. It helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook, and we've got a whole roster of awesome music, movie, and television podcasts. Head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Consequence Podcast Network.